Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. I'm Chip Patterson. Coming to you live at youtube.com slash cover3 and all across the 24-7 Sports Facebook network. Thanks for hanging out. Smash that subscribe. Smash that like. Come and join us in the chat as we are reacting live to the new college football playoff rankings. The penultimate college football playoff rankings as it is the last Tuesday night. Congratulations, Tom. Congratulations, all of you who are watching. This is the final Tuesday night we will be gathered because... This coming Sunday, we will have one more college football playoff rankings reaction show. It will be reacting to the final playoff. It will be looking ahead to what our college football playoff semifinal matchups are going to be. But that ain't that time yet. We still got a little bit more football. Not everybody in the 1 through 25 is going to be in action this weekend. But some of the most important teams uh, in the 1 through 25 are going to be in action this weekend. So, uh, when I jumped on last week, for those who are, you know, regular listeners, of which there are many, uh, you may remember that I was mistaken with what I thought the rankings were going to be. Mm -hmm. Tom has suggested, again, I've come right off of CBS Sports HQ, in which I have done an entire A-Block segment, just basically previewing what might happen, talking about the teams as the rankings were being released. So having not seen the rankings, Thomas suggested that I'm going to guess these. Mm -hmm. Okay. Number one, Georgia. Correct. Two, Michigan. Correct. Three, TCU. Correct. Four, USC. Correct. Five, Ohio State. Correct. Okay, all right. I mean, Alabama at five would be funny. Alabama at five would be very funny, but I think Alabama's at six. Correct. Tennessee at seven? Correct. Now I've got to remember. <laughs> now I got to think of teams that don't matter now. Yeah, now I got to think about <laughs> who's who's fighting for other spots. Um, I'm going to say Penn State. Correct. Okay. Clemson 9? Yeah, it only falls one spot for losing to South Carolina. By yeah, for losing to South Carolina. And rounding out the top 10, so we've got uh Oregon out of there, LSU's out of there. The next up in line is we got going. a game to sell, Chip. Got a it's game LSU? No. No, it's a top 10 matchup for a conference title. 
Is it? It's LSU, right? No. Nope. LSU is 14. Utah. Nope. Top 10 well, matchup. It, it, ain't, it ain't Purdue. Kansas, so Kansas that means State. There you Kansas go. Kansas State. So Kansas State has moved into the number 10 spot. Interesting, interesting, interesting. Okay. Um, we don't, we're not going to keep doing this, right? No, we could stop. Okay. Utah at 11, um, Washington at 12, Florida State at 13, LSU at 14. Oregon State moves up to 15, one spot ahead of Oregon at 16, head-to-head, Clement coming in to consideration there. UCLA at 17, Tulane ahead of uh, South Carolina at 19, Texas at 20, Notre Dame falls to 21, UCF at 22, the North Carolina Tar Heels hang on in the rankings at 23, Mississippi State jumps in at 24, and the NC State Wolfpack back in at number 25. Yep. Daggum, there could have been a lot of uh, a lot of quality wins for the Clemson Tigers if they hadn't blown it to South Carolina. But they did, and they fell one spot. How far did Tennessee fall when it lost to South Carolina? Uh, really far. Even though it had wins over Alabama and LSU. And, and LSU. <laughs> yeah. They love Clemson, man. <laughs> they love the Clemson Tigers. Okay. What, what network broadcast the ACC championship game? So, all right. Come on, man. I'm just asking. I don't know. I'm not sure. Is it ABC? Yeah, it's ABC. Oh, okay. Maybe that's why they're still in the top 10, because you don't want to have number 11 versus number 23. The Clemson-North Carolina game is rife with narrative, but none of them are college football playoff related. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. I mean, I'm working on the preview story for that one, and there's a lot to chew on. Like, there really is, but... It's it feels like it's 2012 again, where I'm all where I'm a like, y'all let me just sort of cover the ACC in the corner. We remember we were like conference bloggers for CBS Sports. Yes, and everybody else was writing about the games that matter for the BCS championship race, and I was like, oh boy, all the fan bases are going to be so excited. <laughs> Best part when we were doing conference blogging was when I was on the Big Ten when November would roll around because the Big Ten didn't doesn't play night games in November. Like the, they play three thirty games and there's no primetime games, so you guys would all be working at night and I'd just be chilling watching games with absolutely nothing to do. It was wonderful. That's going to be ending soon though with the new TV deals. Yeah, well, I mean, and also the addition of USC and UCLA. Mm-hmm. Congratulations, <laughs> we've got Big Ten games. Every single night. All right, so um, the actual order of Georgia, Michigan, TCU, and USC seems 100% fair. Ohio State ahead of Alabama, fair in the loss column, fair in the resume column too? Uh, Losses are part of your resume. You've only got half as many. And you've got, like, Ohio State also has its win over Penn State, which is number eight. Alabama's best win is uh, oh. 20 Texas. Yeah, Alabama's wins are not good. They only have no. quality losses. This is this is my thing that's, I mean, I, I'm happy that the committee put Alabama at six because I did think they might put them at five just for like drama purposes right. heading into the final week. But my problem with the committee in Alabama all season long has been that Alabama has been getting treated like it's 2020 Alabama when this has clearly not been 
one of the better Alabama teams of the last decade. Like it's still one of the 10 best teams in the country. I'm never going to argue anything differently, but like it was getting treated like it's number one Alabama, like beating Alabama. It's like beating the number one team, even though it has not been anywhere near as good as it has been in the recent years. It's not even as good as last year's team. And last year we were talking about how it's not that great of a team compared to pre- previous Alabama teams. Mm. Um, if you're new to the conversation, by the way, quality loss is something that we have heard committee members say in, in the past. We are saying that a little bit tongue in cheek as we are providing our own actual analysis. But it goes a little something like this, where you're like, how good is Alabama? It's like, well, they've beaten everybody on their schedule, but they only lost by a field goal uh, to a team that the committee says is the seventh best team in the country. And that was on the road. And they only lost by a two point conversion to a team that the committee says is the 14th best team. And that was on the road. So you got to understand road environment, close losses, you know, if they took care of business everywhere else. They're a good team. I don't agree with the using that as a, a resume descriptor to argue for why they are great. I think the argument for Alabama being really good is that probably stronger on the statistical side where like you have mentioned, Tom, I know that you've kept your own like ratings and rankings for a long time. This is not one of the best Alabama teams in a very long time. But like you just said, it is still one of the better teams in the country. They are good on sure. offense. They are good on defense. And if you are looking at a sheet full of statistics where everything's going to tell you X out of 131, where you rank in all these different categories then Alabama does check out as a very, very good team across the board. Correct. Alabama is a very good team. It's just not the Alabama team that we are accustomed to. And like you said, I've been doing my own power ratings for seven seasons now. This is easily the lowest rated Alabama team I've had. But I also want to mention, like you talked about those resume losses. If you're going to play that game saying, well, they lost really close on the road to LSU and they lost really close on the road to Tennessee, you have to point out that they needed a field goal with 10 seconds left to beat Texas. And you also have to point out that Texas A&M had a chance to beat them on the very final play of that game. So if the close losses count, you have to consider the close wins. They kind of cancel each other out. This has not been a dominant Alabama team by any stretch. You you really would not like to see this Alabama team in the college football. No, this Alabama... I'm going to get labeled by Alabama fans as an SEC hater or an Alabama hater, but I think every Alabama fan knows deep down in their heart this Alabama team doesn't deserve to be in the college football playoff. If you throw them in there, they're not going to tear it down, but they don't deserve to be there. I don't think anybody with a rational mind believes that's the case. So what about Ohio State? Because Ohio State prior to this Saturday was the number two team in the country, number two teams in in the college football playoff rankings, and – deserved deserved at the moment to have a shot to compete for a national championship. They now sit outside of the top four. If someone slips up, Ohio State is the next one in. How differently do you feel about the Buckeyes after the result from Saturday? I feel like it's one of the better teams in the country and that it's still capable of winning a national title. I think that if the team plays its best game, there isn't a team in the country it can't beat. It's just we haven't seen Ohio State play its best game this year. I feel like they've been they've had great games where they've dominated, but I never watched this team at any point this year and thought that was just a dominant performance from start to finish. They kind of just kind of have lulls over the course of 60 minutes. But I think that's the case with every team in the country this year. So I can't really hold that against them. My problem is... And the one thing I've always had with the way that the system works, just on how they do it, Ohio State loses a game. So it gets to stay at home this weekend. 
And this was like the argument we had with Tennessee. Like when Tennessee lost to Georgia, we're like, well, what if this is good for them? Because that means they don't have to play in the SEC championship. And at the time, we thought they'd probably be playing Alabama. And it's like, do they want the rematch? Alabama's second crack at them. But Ohio State benefits by not having to play this weekend, whereas TCU, which has already beaten Kansas State, if they lose to Kansas State, some people will think Ohio State deserves a spot over them. If USC loses to Utah, people will say that Ohio State deserves to be in over them. And they probably, you know what, I honestly think if USC loses, Ohio State's going to get in. But is that really fair that USC had to play an extra game and it lost it? So it loses its spot in the top four while Ohio State didn't have to play that game. So they get the benefit of not having to play. I don't think it's fair, but the argument will be USC has two losses, which I will completely understand. But like I just said, they had to play one extra game, too. So I think in a fair world, the four teams that are in right now should be the four teams in the playoff. I think that Ohio State had its shot. It blew it. Alabama had shots. It blew it. Tennessee had shots. It blew it. So on down the line. I think winning your conference if you're going to force them to play a championship game that should mean something if as far as usc is concerned like they beat ucla they've been the best team in the pac-12 if they avenge their loss against utah they're obviously in it's just i don't know it's it's going to be annoying to me like i predicted in the preseason that both michigan and ohio state would be undefeated when they played and that both teams would still end up in the playoff that could still be the case. It's just I don't think that that probably should be the case at this point. If US, if Ohio State had lost close and it had been like we talked about with Alabama winning on a last-second field goal or losing close to Tennessee and LSU, then I think there'd be a decent argument. But with the way Ohio State lost that game at home against a team that was without its best player on offense, I just, you blew your shot, man. That's the way I see it. They got dunked on. Mm-hmm. Like they got, um, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm I'm getting in trouble for all these basketball analogies, but like those those it, people are pointing to those long touchdown runs as though they were anomaly plays that we should ignore. And I'm kind of on the other side that in the in the style of competition, both in terms of your mental, like how checked in you are to a game, how much you care about winning, like when you allow those long explosive plays, like you are. You're behind. Like you, you are just getting run out of your own building. That is the kind of stuff that Michigan. Oh, we already said that. That's the kind of stuff Michigan does to the worst teams in the Big Ten, and it's the way that it made Ohio State look. Um, that said, Ohio State has also looked awesome at times this season, and I understand them being the next one up. If Ohio State, if USC loses to Utah, and Ohio State makes the college football playoff, that makes sense. Now let's get to the next part. If TCU loses to Kansas State, I am not in favor of the Horn Frogs getting knocked out of the top four. No, they should be in. The only thing they should be playing for this weekend is seeding. I am going to be very upset if a team that went 12-0 and during the regular season, unless Kansas State just like throttles them. And I mean Ohio State over Wisconsin in the 2014 Big Ten title, 62 to nothing, kind of throttles them then I, I'm going to be extremely disappointed to see TCU after the season it had find itself outside of the top four. Especially because TCU already beat Kansas State. <laughs> like it's, it, it has to beat them twice now in order to prove. But again, like you could argue also that first game, Kansas State lost Adrian Martinez, then it lost Will Howard. 
So you could say, well, now that we've seen him at full strength, maybe TCU would have lost their regular season game. And that's a very valid argument. It's just, are we putting teams in the playoff based on what ifs, or are we putting teams in the playoff based on what actually happened? And I think that's what gets like way too complicated sometimes when we discuss this. Like, There's a whole lot of what, but this, and if that, and what if. And it's like, well, no, this is what happened. This is what we should rely on. This is what we should use. What possibly could have happened or how fluky a performance could have been shouldn't matter. It happened. And if you look like you mentioned the explosive plays that Michigan had on Ohio State, they're not the first team to do that to Ohio State. The week before, Maryland had a 12% explosive play rate against the Buckeyes. Michigan was at 13%. Michigan State was at 13%. Toledo was at 14%. (laughs) It's like Ohio State has been prone to allowing big plays. Michigan put together a lot of big plays. It happened. The game played. They lost by 22. Done. If LSU wins. Congratulations on your SEC championship. Enjoy the Sugar Bowl. Or where? I mean, I don't know what, what, what games are the semis this year. The semis are the Peach and the Fiesta. Yeah. Okay. So enjoy the Sugar Bowl. Don't lose to Texas A&M. Don't lose at home by 27 or whatever it was to Tennessee. You had your shots. You blew it. So if you, you beat Georgia, you're a team with a great win who lost three games. There have been plenty of teams with a great win who lost three games who never sniffed the college football playoff. So USC is the team that is playing with all the pressure right now. Yes. I firmly believe that well, I know Georgia and Michigan are in no matter what. And not just because I don't expect them to lose, but I think they are in no matter what happens. And I'm reasonably confident TCU is in no matter what happens. USC, I think, has to win. And if USC does not win, Ohio State's in, and that's the college football playoff picture. Mm -hmm. And we've, yeah, we've got a system. And see, this is why expansion or no expansion, conference championships need to be a requirement to get into the playoff. I'm sorry. You can have at larges after that, but if you win, like if if as long as it's four, and this has always been my deal, conference champion. It should be conference championships. the t- The top four ranked conference champions should be the teams that get it. Ooh, I like that. I mean, if, we might only have sticks. one more year of this format, depending on what the Rose Bowl says. So, like, yeah, I, the, the only expansion I've always like, if we wanted to expand to six, and it was your five Power Five champions and your Group of Five highest ranked champion. I would be happy with that. That would be fine. That's kind of expansion I can deal with. It's just, I think if you make conference championship games matter, you've already expanded the playoff because they all serve as a playoff game. And also another thing you could do too, like if in a situation like this, where like Bud was arguing on Twitter, like Georgia has Georgia could rest all its guys this weekend and it, it pays no price because it's in the, it's in the playoff. What if we made, what if we kept the playoff at four teams, but the semis were played at home? Was, was that what he was saying on Twitter? Bud was just saying Georgia doesn't have to play. He was arguing for why you need to expand the playoff by saying Georgia could just rest this week and there's nothing on the line because there's no buy or anything. He's not here, but he's on Twitter? No, right no, no, this is a couple days ago. Oh, okay. I was about to say, he's, he's not this here. This was on Saturday, working, I think. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but my point is just, if what if you just kept it at four, but the one seed and the two seed got to host the semis at home? You would avoid the situation. Hmm. Hmm. Coming up on the other side, we start to look ahead to that conference championship weekend, and we were requested... 
to provide 20 seconds on Georgia Tech or more than 20 seconds on Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech has a new head football coach. We'll give you at least 20 seconds. Next. Back here on the Cover 3 podcast. Again, we have a new set of college football playoff rankings. Georgia, Michigan, TCU, and USC are in the top four. Ohio State at five, Alabama at six. And as we see the picture, Georgia, Michigan in TCU should be, but we'll see. That's where you might have some controversy. USC has to win in order to get in. If USC loses to Utah on Friday night, that is good news for the Ohio State Buckeyes. Uh, what else might happen after that? We will see. We've done a lot of uh, you know coaching carousel talk, and I have noticed that you know we do have a lot of Georgia Tech fans, and I think that sometimes we have we've talked about the the Jamie Chadwell, we've talked about the Willie Fritz, you know, we've talked about all the different uh, coaching candidates. Willie Fritz, of course, reportedly interviewed for the job. Then all of a sudden, things took a big turn here on a Tuesday, and. You know, on Monday, I think that there was a comment in the chat said, please, more than 20 seconds on uh, Georgia Tech. So, all right, here you go. Georgia Tech has promoted interim coach Brent Key to the new to the full-time head coaching position. Uh, as a former Georgia Tech player, he is somebody with a lot of connections to the program, and he went 4-4 four and four as an interim coach. Yeah, it's somewhat of a surprise because earlier this week, the reports were that it was going to be Willie Fritz, but it's not. Willie Fritz got, oh, there you go, 22 seconds. All right. Bang, done. Done. We got it. All right, no, seriously. <laughs> this, to me, it was interesting because, um, you know, Tulane also releases the statement that says, uh, you know, Willie has informed us that he's going to stay. Mm -hmm. As if Tulane thought that they were going to lose Willie Fritz to Georgia Tech. The reports from, I believe, Jeff Schultz said that uh, Fritz and Georgia Tech were going back and forth on the length of deal, not necessarily the money. I'm not going to be able to like comment one way or the other on that, but I will say that clearly something about the contract ex itself uh, was going to be up in the air as of Sunday night. So now we get to the point where we are promoting Brent Key. Um when you're sticking with that familiar hire, when you are doing that family hire, do you think that this is a family discount hire? I would assume there's, I see, I don't know how much Fritz is making at Tulane. I doubt it was like compared to what a lot of power five coaches are getting. I doubt it's really that comparable, but I'm assuming Georgia tech would be able to pay more than Tulane. So I, but I don't know if that's like, you know, like you look around like 9 million, 8 million Fickle's getting like seven and a half or so million from Wisconsin, Georgia tech's not paying that, but I still think it could offer a raise on what Tulane was offering. But yeah, I'm assuming there's probably some kind of discount simply because of where Willie Fritz is at in his career. He could probably command more of a salary considering what he's done. I mean, he's, I think he's 62. He's, possibly on the verge of a conference title at Tulane. He won a lot of games at the FCS level before he ever even showed up at the FBS level. And Brent Key has been a head coach for eight games. <laughs> so from that perspective, you're probably not going to have to pay him as much. And also, he's, like you said, he played offensive line at the school. He loves the school. I'm sure he's willing to take that job for less than other coaches would because right now, that is a very difficult job and we don't know how much money Georgia Tech really has. But Regardless of the money, 
just looking at the hire on its own merits, like we've seen schools hire the interim guy and then really regret it. And we've seen schools hire the interim guy and then really learn to or really live to see that they made the right decision. Clemson comes to mind. They hired the interim guy. Things worked out pretty well. Now, they're not working out super well right now, but that's a completely different discussion. So maybe it'll work, maybe it won't. But I will say, and it's something you and I have, you know, we look at when we look at teams all the time. Georgia Tech under Jeff Collins to start the year was a dead football team. It looked like a football team that was not having fun. It looked like a football team that was showing up to work in a job it did not like, but it had bills to pay and it needed to be there. And it they did not like their boss. Correct. Jeff Collins gets fired. Brent Key takes over. And they look completely rejuvenated. Everybody looks happy. There's a plus energy on the sidelines. And they played hard. And that is something like when you're a program like that, when you're not just a ton of talent that is expected to win national titles or compete for playoff birds, playing hard can go a long way. And it means a lot because you have to maximize what you have. So if you look at what he was able to do there, he got that team to play hard. That's a great sign for what he's able to do in that locker room and to motivate his players every week. Now, what we don't know is he's never been in charge. He's never had to go through the entire offseason, assemble the roster, you know, get spring practice, set everything up, prepare for a season, and go like that. That's going to be the learning curve for him. So it might be a bit of a rough start, but that's not to say he can't do it. I mean, football coaching isn't easy, but it's not rocket science. Sometimes I think we give these coaches a little too much credit for being able to put together a game plan. It's not that difficult. So it could work. I'm still surprised. I would love to see Willie Fritz get it just because I want Willie Fritz to get a crack in the Power Five. And I don't know how many more cracks Willie Fritz is going to get at a Power 5 gig. And I think that if you look at the situation, this is a spot that made a ton of sense for him because of the offense he runs, because of his familiarity with the area when he spent the time at two seasons at Georgia Southern, and because he's been at a school right now, a private school, that has some you know stricter academic requirements. So there's only certain types of guys you can get in. So he had all that experience that he could have used to help run that program. But Brent Pry's gone to Georgia Tech. He went to school there, and he's coached there as assistant for a long time. So he's familiar with it, too. So we'll see how it goes. You want to talk about um, like being able to turn in a, a pretty good resume. The uh, division play is going away in the ACC. But mm-hmm. um, let me, let's, let's talk about some commonalities here. Uh, the ACC Coastal Division champion, North Carolina Tar Heels, lost to Georgia Tech. Second place in the ACC Coastal Division, the Pitt Panthers lost to Georgia Tech. Third place in the ACC Coastal Division, the Duke Blue Devils lost to Georgia Tech. And the fourth place team in the ACC Coastal Division is Georgia Tech. They played hard. All of teams that weren't expecting them to play hard. Yeah, all of those wins were under Brent Key, by Mm -hmm. the way. Um, So that's that. That was how you were able to turn in your resume and say, "Look." In the t- in the toughest games on our schedule, in you know division play, which it, again is going away, uh, Georgia Tech rose up and they were able to go and get those wins. Something that is uh, very impressive. And now we get to see what Key can do with the Yellow Jackets. Uh, report from Bruce Feldman saying that Gary Patterson might be a name to watch at UNLV. I know that we have m- talked before that. UNLV making the move on uh, Marcus Arroyo, considering the like steps that the Rebels took this year, 
a little bit surprising. I mean, they had injury issues. They were so much better when they were fully healthy than when they weren't, but they finished five and seven. Um, do you think Gary Patterson would be a good hire at UNLV? I don't know. Um, it was weird because I heard a little whisper yesterday after I sent out a tweet about UNLV saying I was surprised by it and I felt like they had somebody in mind or else they wouldn't have made the move. I heard a whisper that said that they were going after a guy with head coaching experience in the Mountain West. And my initial reaction was Brian Harson. Oh, but what about the the old Mountain West? Mm-hmm. And then Feldman's tweet today about don't be surprised if it's Gary Patterson. So Feldman it, also wrote the like, hey, Biff Pogey is certainly the most that's interesting what I'm saying. Yeah, in college football. Exactly. Bruce, Bruce knows a lot of things, and sometimes Bruce can't report things, but Bruce can report things. So I, I, I won't be shocked at this point if it's Gary Patterson. I, whether it'll work, I mean, Gary Patterson's tenure at TCU at the end didn't go very well, and it depends what his – I mean, what's UNLV trying to be like? If they're getting Gary Patterson, that's kind of a statement of intent – even though if I don't know if it's like a good plan, but he's we've seen what he was able to do at TCU. He built that program into the program that is now able to take advantage of what it has and be in a college football playoff for us. Sonny Dykes deserves all the credit for this year, but Gary Patterson deserves some credit for that program even being at a position to get there because they're not in the Big 12 to begin with without Gary Patterson. But, we saw the last few years there things were trending in the wrong direction as the sport has changed with you know the transfer portal and NIL and all that stuff. Gary Patterson's team seemed to start to fall behind, and it's really not all that different of a situation to me than what we saw at Stanford. So if you're bringing Patterson in and you want to make UNLV an attractive destination, you know, a developmental program, and you're not really worried about the portal, or maybe I don't know what the booster NIL situation is there. It's UNLV. It's in Las Vegas. I assume there's got to be somebody with money who cares about that program. Or somebody that's trying to hide money. Or somebody that's trying to. <laughs> that's, that's what I thought. I you, like, you, UNLV like, is an offshore football program. I was like, I was like, I, there's there's somebody that's like, oh, there's a 501c3 NIL that I can I can drop some money in right now. Oh boy, that's convenient for my account. <laughs> Uh, yes. Um, <laughs> hey, listen, I'm going to try to get Gary Patterson's had plenty of success in the Mountain West. No reason to say he can't do it now. It's just, it's going to be, I don't, I wouldn't assume it. Like five years ago, I'd have thought it was an amazing hire. Right now, I don't know. I do not mean this to disparage the rest of the head coaches in the Mountain West, but Gary Patterson would quickly become one of the best head coaches oh, yeah. in the Mountain West. It's and most I accomplished, think, anyway. Yeah. I, I would even say like coaching chops, you know, like just, Game planning, you know, scouting you out, coming up with a way to, and I understand in football, it's, it is so much more complicated than that where talent acquisition is a huge part of it. But I, I do think that in the mountain West conference, as it stands right now, there are just not a lot of roadblocks. Like you can, you can play a game of shoots and ladders in the mountain West and very quickly jump up toward the top. You know, you can you can very quickly slide to the bottom, but you can very quickly jump up to the top just because 
you don't have that kind of difficulty in terms of all these other programs are so well entrenched and they're building and they've got all these, you know, things that are all going well. I and mean, the volatility in that league is pretty intense from year to year where, you know, Boise, we have seen even almost lost it and had to make that change right at the beginning of the year to be able to maintain its spot up at the top where a program like Wyoming seems to ping pong back and forth where air force seems to ping pong all over the place. Like it's just, it is not that difficult to be able to get your feet under you and be able to start making some moves up. And I think that if UNLV brought in Gary Patterson, you would be very quickly climbing the ladder in the shoots and ladders games of the mountain West pecking order. Yeah, I think there could definitely be like an adrenaline surge in the first year or two. It's the maintaining it part that I'd be skeptical about. Well, I mean, until the IRS comes around about that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to refer to UNLV as an offshore program from now on. Is it an offshore program? Yeah, it's an offshore college football program. So Georgia Tech is filled. That means we're just left with Colorado... Is that it? Um, Cincinnati? Cincinnati, USF, FAU. Uh, that I'm trying to, I can't think off the top of my head. I think pretty much, yeah, I think that's really all that's left at the moment. Oof. We'll see if we got something spicy that pops in the next little bit, but the pieces are falling into place. Yeah, like it's, it, there really hasn't been like the big domino to fall yet. Yet. Yeah, famous last words. Famous last words. Dabo Sweeney to the Houston Texans. Urban Meyer to Liberty. Urban Meyer. Yeah, so apparently... Oh, um, Justin Williams, Cincinnati insider, said that Urban Meyer's not happening, right? Mm-hmm. But that Tom Herman is a name to watch. Makes plenty of sense. We've talked about it. Cincinnati, Colorado, FAU. Coca's in the chat. What's up, Coca? Cincinnati, Colorado, FAU, USF. Oh, Stanford. Stanford, Duh, yeah. Texas State, Tulsa, UAB, UNLV, and Western Michigan. What a producer right there coming through in the chat. We'll see. Uh, We will, of course, be back with you on Wednesday, tomorrow, 11 a.m. Eastern time. Uh, the, The task at hand, number one, going inside the matchups of these conference championship showdowns. What are the keys to the game? Some of the narratives, some of the things going on around it. Because then on Thursday, we'll be giving you our best bets for conference championship weekend. So the big game previews on Wednesday and because it is the end of the month, Tux is coming out, baby. You know, we got those Cover 3 Podcast November Superlatives. Your Team of the Month for November, Player of the Month, Coach of the Month, Game of the Month, and Tom, what, what do we call them? The Fernellis? Sure. And the Fernellis, Tom Superlatives for the month of November. Uh, all of that coming up. If you've got any nominations, that uh, you can go ahead and chime in as well at Cover 3 Podcast or get at us on Twitter. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernelli. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Tom, thank you very much. Brandon in the chat, Ohio is a wagon. <laughs>